Um, but today we're going to be in two, well, we're, we're going to be looking at two chapters today, kind of a um, high-level look at it. But we're going to start today in um, 1 Samuel 27. So 1 Samuel 27, and, and then we're also going to, we'll finish it out today in um, chapter 30 of 1 Samuel. So 1 Samuel 27, and, and then we're going to go through that and looking at the life of David. It's interesting, um, Andy and I didn't talk, so this is great. I didn't have really a way to introduce it, so I'm glad that he, he used yesterday's devotion because it's applicable to today. Can you imagine being, um, you know, I can't, we, maybe some of you have, or I know that sometimes we have relatives who live in places where those sudden storms like a hurricane or a tornado can come about out of nowhere, and the utter destruction that it can bring. And it just, I, I just imagine being in that place and um, when, when those sort of situations happen in life and when there's storms in life, sometimes it can lead us to um, places or a time of despondency, a time of despondency, a time of hopelessness in our life. And we've all been there. We all know people who have uh, been in those spots. Maybe it's, maybe it's a physical situation, like, or material, I should say, like a, a tornado or a hurricane that has come and, and has um, caused destruction. Maybe it's a destroyed relationship or sickness that, that comes. Whatever it is, all of us face times of storms, times of testing. And this morning, we want to look at the life of David and, and learn from him. And we're going to look at two main aspects um, in chapter 27 and in chapter 30 of, of David's life where we see David in the middle of a trial himself. See, for the past few years, and many believe that for about seven years, David has been being chased and pursued by King Saul, who's coming after his life, wanting to murder him, wanting to destroy him, right? Because uh, we know that um, the prophet Samuel told David, or excuse me, told Saul that he wouldn't be king and that David would be king. And, and Saul from that point on was out to destroy David to kill him. And David comes to this place, what we're going to look at in chapter 27, of utter hopelessness. And then in this place of hopelessness, we, we learn of, uh, from the mistakes of David that lead him into some of David's darkest days, of, as many um, commentators, many authors write it. Uh, write about it. And so, you know, we need to ask ourselves, what do we do when the dark days come upon our life? How do we respond? And then when we fail like David does, how do we recover from those dark days? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. So chapter 27, look down with me in, in verse 1, and it says that, in Dave, and David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. Again, the context, the setting of what's going on. For, for about seven years, David has been on the run. Seven years. Man, I can't imagine what that would be like. Now, we're not just saying like somebody was suing him for the past 70 years. That would be hard, right? Coming after maybe his material possessions to bring him down. Maybe somebody was, you know, we can experience somebody gossiping or, or, or bashing us for seven years. But somebody was literally out to kill David. Out for his life. He couldn't be at home anymore. He was running in the wilderness, in the mountains, and in the caves. And now David just comes to this point, although God has been delivering him, although God has been seeing him through, never letting Saul succeed, yet David still became discouraged. David still became weary. And that's where we find ourselves in, in chapter 27. David came to a place of despondency. The circumstances of life were hard. See, God has not allowed Saul to overcome David. We see that in chapter 23 of 1 Samuel, verse 14. It says that in David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains of the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. But yet, although God was preserving David, he still became weary. And now David comes to this place of hopelessness. 
See, and failure to trust God leads us to times and seasons of our life of hopelessness, doesn't it? When I think that God will not continue to deliver me, when I think that his word won't hold true, that I can't rely upon it, I'll soon become hopeless. Notice what David did when he became hopeless. In verse 27, or excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 27, it says that, and David said in his heart. So at this time, David starts to speak to himself. He starts to just have a conversation within his own heart of all the circumstances of, of everything that is going on. David's looking around him. And again, I can't imagine what it would be like to have to run from cave to cave. See, in David looking around him, what he saw and saw, what he saw in his circumstances of life, he still had a limited view, didn't he? He had a limited view. And in looking around, he didn't know what God's plan, the, the fullness of God's plan. We know that he had God's promise, right? But he didn't know how God would fulfill that promise. He looked around him, and, and, it, and it seemed like the circumstances of life were speaking louder than God's word. And what did, what did David say to his heart in verse 1? He said, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. So looking around, looking at the uh, circumstances as difficult as they were, it resulted in David failing to trust God. He said, Saul's going to get me. I have no chance. Man, Saul's going to overtake me. Lord, uh, I, you know, he forgot that God has been faithful to deliver him in the past. And it led to hopelessness. Now, look at this. We can all fall into that, right? We can all fall into that trap of, of looking around, forgetting to look to the Lord, and, and come to this place of despondency. But what did David do in response? So now being hopeless, he says, There's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the hand of the Philistines. And in doing so, uh, Saul will despair of me. He'll become so tired of looking for me uh, to seek, my, seek me anymore in any part of Israel. So I will escape out of the hand of Saul. So David says, I have no chance. This is what I'll do. He devised the plan. He said, I'll go to the enemy camp. I'll go to the Philistine lands. There, Saul won't continue to pursue me anymore. And in doing so, he, he devises a way to save his own life, right? And again, I don't blame David. I, I, I understand, man. I get it. Man, when, we've, and when I fail to trust God because now I have nothing to lean upon, nothing, there's nothing to save me, I, I have to be my own savior, don't I? And we can fall into that same trap. But as David spoke to himself, he actually... <laughs> was distorted, or, or you could even say, in speaking to himself, he was lying to himself. He was deceiving himself. He didn't even realize it. See, there's something that much better that he could have done. David should have went to the Lord. David, instead of talking to himself, should have talked it over with God. Turn, put a marker here. Go to Psalm 142. Psalm 142. Notice here what David wrote. This was earlier in his life. This is earlier as, as uh, Saul was pursuing him. In Psalm 142, we see there David saying, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With, the voice. with my voice to the Lord I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. Notice there, David, he went to God with his troubles, with his complaints. He poured them out. He laid them out before the Lord. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, or when it fainted within me, when, when it was so much, I, I couldn't take any more, then in verse 3 he says, Then you knew my path. In the way which I walk, they have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I, brought, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surrender, or surround me. For you shall deal bountifully with me. So notice, earlier in David's life, he went to the Lord. He cried out to him. And I love that God invites us to do this, to bring our troubles before him. 
to bring the circumstances of life, to even bring our complaints before him. How much better it is to lay our complaints at the Lord's feet and leave them there. We do much damage when we go and we complain to others around us instead of the Lord. And instead of doing that, David spoke to himself. And so even this, we can learn from this. When we are in the difficulties of life, when circumstances are overwhelming, instead of looking within, we're to turn to the Lord. Go to him in prayer. Let him be your refuge. And notice that this is just a simple decision that David had to make, isn't it? So simple. I either look within or I look up. I turn to myself. I turn to what's right around me. Or I turn to the one who's above it all. Uh, Psalm 37.5 says this. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. See, God invites us in these moments of trouble and the moments of difficulties of our life to simply commit our way to him. To give our life completely to him. Lord, the circumstance, the situation, we're just to give it to him. He doesn't promise an explanation. He doesn't promise to give us understanding in it, but he promises to see us through, to be with us. Psalm 55, 22. There the psalmist wrote, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. And see, that word burden can also be translated our lot or our portion. And I think about David and and even many of us in this room. We have lots or there's portions. There's parts of our life that are just, they feel like a burden to us. You know, at this point, David, it's not because of David's sin that Saul is chasing him, right? But God's using Saul to conform David into the king to prepare him. And it's just too much for David. Sometimes life feels like that for us. The psalmist says, cast it upon the Lord. Give it to the Lord in prayer. And notice, as you give it to the Lord, it says there that he will sustain you. See, we don't have to sustain ourselves. It becomes overwhelming, overbearing. Give it to the Lord. But we learn that failing to trust the Lord's hand over him. David takes things into his own hands. Beware of doing that. Have we failed to trust the Lord and taken any area or circumstance in our life into our own hands? We don't need to help the Lord out. Trust him. But look what, look what happens. As David, he, he says he, he'll flee to the Philistines. Notice the results. We see this as David backslides Uh, chapter, or excuse me, verse 2, all the way down through uh, chapter 28, verse 2. Let's break this down. Look at, look at what the results are. It says in verse 2, then David arose and he went with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Moak, king of Gath. So David dwelled in Achish of Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinom, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the um, Carmelitess, Nabal's widow, and it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath. He sought, so he sought him no more. So by not trusting the Lord, David operates in his own strength and in, in his own wisdom. He, see, David's backslidden. He, he backslides here. That's, that's, that's what he's doing. And in verse 7, if you look, it actually says that David lives in this place in the, serving the Philistines in the Philistine land for 16 months, a year and four months. So this is a substantial amount of time that David's living in this backslidden state. And, and notice in all of these 16 months, there's lost opportunity, lost time. See, and when we fail to trust the Lord and we look to something or someone else to deliver us, the same thing happens. We lose opportunity. We lose time. See, sin has the promise to give us hope. Sin has the promise of security or fulfillment that we're looking for. This might look like dishonest dealings to relieve financial pressures, right? Lies that we have to tell to squirm our way out of it. Maybe it's porn or substance abuse to alleviate the stresses of life. God warns us of turning to these things. And again, David's David might say to himself in verse 4, when Saul, 
that he didn't pursue David anymore. There was temporal relief, wasn't there? So for a moment, it seemed like things were okay. For a moment, it seemed like his plan had worked. David walking in his own wisdom. But I'm thankful that the Lord's honest to show us David's failure, that we could learn from them. Now, look at this, the impact of, of David being back, backsliding. The first thing that we see is that David impacts others around him. He impacts others around him. How do we know this? Well, we, we just read that David took his 600 men with him. Not only the 600 men that followed him to the land of the Philistines for, for 16 months, but also all of their families. See, when you and I fail to trust the Lord, and when we turn to something or someone else to deliver us, when we, when we live in the season of sin for our life, you impact and I impact others around me. You may think that, well, man, this is just to save my, my, myself, or, or this is only going to impact or affect me, but that's not true. See, others are touched by it. You don't sin alone. Number two, look at verse five. We see, then David said to Achish, if I have now find, found favor in your eyes, let, me, or let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there, for, I should, should, for why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So not only do we impact others, but we, we start to serve the enemy. We start to serve the enemy. David says to Achish, the king of the Philistines, I'll be your servant. He calls himself his servant. This is David who just uh, slew the giant, the Philistine giant. And now he's given himself over to be used by the enemy. See, living in the territory of the enemy, the enemy actually uses us to accomplish his purpose. We put ourselves back under the bondage of sin, and we become servants again to sin. When our lives aren't completely by, uh, ruled by the Lord, we're living a backslidden life. Keep going on there. In verse 6, he says, So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now, the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. And David and his men, they went up, and they raided the Jeshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. For those nations were the inhabitants of the land of, uh, from, of old, as you go from Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. Verse 9, whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but he took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel. And he returned, and he came to Achish. Then Achish would say, where have you made a raid today? And David would say, against the southern area of Judah, or against the southern area of the Jehemalites, or against the southern area of the Kenites. So notice, we see now that David is living a lie. That what, that's what happens when we live in sin. We're living a lie. Well, how do we know that? See, as David would go out day, day by day, he was living, again, serving the enemy. The enemy expected to, to him to fight for him. But David would go and he would actually um, attack uh, not, not Israel themselves, but other enemies around Israel. But then he would come back and he, Achish would say, well, give me a report of, your, of what you did. I want to know. You're accountable to me now. And David would lie about it. He would said that he went up and he would attack his fellow countrymen, the Israelites. And that's what happens when we live in sin. We lie to ourselves, number one, don't we? We lie to ourselves. We're not honest with ourselves, calling sin, sin. We lie to others around us. We have given ourselves over to a lie that some other God will save us. Proverbs 3.1 warns us of this. There we see Solomon writes, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep, or literally that means guard my commands. See, we're to beware, be, be on guard of, of lies that promise life, lies that promise security, lives that promise lies that promise deliverance. And we're to guard our hearts from this. See, we can ask ourselves if if it doesn't take me back to Christ, then it's a lie. It's a false gospel. 
David living a lie. Then in verse 11, notice what David did. It says, And David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, Thus David did. And thus was his behavior all the time that he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, He has made his people Israel utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to go fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, You assuredly know that, that you will go out with me to battle. You and your men— so David said to Achish, Surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore I will make you as one of my chief guardians forever. So here we see that David, now because he's living and he's serving the enemy, he's living a lie that he has to cover up as well. He's covering up the lie that he lives. In verse 11, David when he would go out and, and fight, when he would go into um, these battle raids that he, that he went to, he left no man, no woman, nothing. He destroyed it all. But did you see why he did that? Lest any of them should go back to the king, Achish, and say what David was truly doing. Lest it would come to the light, lest it would come to the surface. See, we, when we seek to cover up we often seek to cover up our own righteousness, our own rebellion. It might look like in the form of gossip, right? Man, I'm going to cut that person up. I'm going to cut them down so others don't see. They, the attention won't be brought on me. Maybe it's just self-righteousness. We have to live a lie thinking that, that we're trying to um, come up with our own righteousness, make ourselves acceptable, covering up for our own sin, the Pharisees, right, they destroyed others in their self-righteousness, didn't they? But all of this, David, man, living in these dark days, and, and not that we rejoice in that David um, had this time in his life, but I'm thankful that the Lord's honest with us. Because each of us have been there, right? We have these seasons where we trust in, in, in ourselves when we, when we turn to sin, whatever it may be, when we find ourselves in these dark days. But I'm thankful that the Lord intervenes, and that's what we see in chapter 29. And we're not going to go through uh, chapter 29 in too much detail there. But now as they're going out, uh, as, as um, the Philistine king Achish, he plans to go attack Israel. David even commits himself to go fight against his own people. Man, that's insanity, isn't it? See, sin makes us do things that we probably never would, said that we would ever do. All because David felt hopeless, because he felt that the Lord had forsaken him, because he forgot to, uh, um, the promises of God and he looked within himself. And then in chapter 9, notice it says that then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at the at Aphex, and the Israelites encamped by, by a fountain— which is in Jezreel. In the words of the Philistines, they passed in review by the hundreds and the thousands. So they're, they're going about, they're looking at their army, they're, they're taking account of all the troops that they had. It says, but David and his men passed in review at the rear with Achish. Remember, he would be with the king. Why? Because um, Achish said that you're going to be my chief guardian. You're going to be like the, the uh, 007 agent that's right next to me. Then, then the princes of, of the Philistines said, what are the Hebrews doing here? See, even, even the enemies were shocked to find David in their own camp. And when we live in rebellion, when, when we backslide, the enemy knows that we shouldn't be there, don't they? We don't belong. And Achish said to the princes of the Philistine, Is, there, is this not David, the servant of, of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with uh, me these days or these years? And, and to this day, I have found no fault in him since he defected to me. But the princes of the Philistines were very angry with him. So, so that the prin princes of the Philistines said to him, Make this fellow return, that he may go back to the place you have appointed for him. And do not let him go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become our adversary. For with what could he reconcile himself to, to his master, if not 
with the heads of these men. And so what he's saying here is kind of the gist, the essence of chapter 29, and we're not going to go through all of it, but the Philistines are even saying, don't let, David's not fighting with us. I'm not going out to battle with him. He's a mighty warrior, and in the middle of battle, he'll flip on me. He'll cut our heads off so that he can go get right with um, Saul again. And so what do we see in this chapter? What do we learn? That they, if you keep reading on, they, they reject David, and, and, and Achish finally heeds his, his uh, counsel, the guys around him, his generals, and they say, David, you can't fight with me anymore. You have to go back to your city. I'm sorry. You can't come with us. But in this, we, we see that in David's rebellion, in David's dark days, that God sovereignly intervenes. God uses even the enemy to accomplish his purpose. Those who weren't walking with him, the Philistines, that even where David was trusting, this false hope, this lie that the Philistine would protect him, that he would find safety and refuge there, that David is now rejected by even his enemies that once accepted him. And God will allow our idols, God will allow whatever we're trusting in to fail us, sovereignly and lovingly driving us back to him. And so as we now go to chapter 30, we see David and his men now going back to the city. Remember the city being Ziklag, his, the Philistine city that um, David was given. So notice in verse 1 through the beginning of verse 6, we see the consequences of, of David's backsliding, the consequences of sin. In verse 1, it says that now it happened when David and his men, they, he came to Ziklag on the third day. Many say that it was about a 25-mile journey, um, and they had to walk, right? They couldn't jump in their, um, they couldn't jump in their, in their 15-passenger van and caravan over or get an Uber to take it. So three days walking, 25 miles, you'd be pretty tired at that point. Not only that, but they had to leave Ziklag and go in there. So it's probably about 50 miles in the past few days. But they came to Ziklag, and on, on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there, from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but they carried them away, and they went their way. Verse 3, so David and his men, they came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and, and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and they wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his son's and his daughters. So put yourself in David's shoes. You've been living a lie for the past uh, uh, 16 months. You've been fighting for the enemy, covering it up. Now you've been rejected by where you thought you had safety. Even your enemies reject you now, and you come back home. Man, maybe your wife, you would think, you just go in and you can tell her you had a hard day and she'd make some feta pasta. Maybe you'd go get some Al's Cone Zone and watch like basketball or something like that. Like a little bit of reprieve or relief. And what does he come back to find? His home burned. Up in smoke. All, of, all the women, all the children, everyone who stayed behind were carried away. It was empty. I can't imagine what it would be like. I can't imagine what, what those cries the, the welling of, of these 600 men would be. Then on top of that, not only has this happened to David personally, but again, his rebellion, he took everybody around him, so they experienced that destruction, right? Those consequences as well. But look at this. Now it says that David's, uh, the 500 or 600 guys, right? They want to stone him. They want to kill him. Talk about hopelessness. David thought that he was hopeless before, but in turning away from the Lord, he, he had, all hope was gone. All hope was gone. Talk about a bad day. But yet, in the midst of all this, we see God's hand in disciplining David. 
and correct, correcting David. And why is that? Because the Bible tells us that God corrects, God disciplines those whom he loves. See, although David had rebelled, he was still God's son. And God was bringing him back. God was allowing the consequences of his choices to come upon him, that David would be driven back to the Lord. And this is a lesson for each of us. What do we do? Man, when in hopelessness, when in despondency, we turn from the Lord, we, or we rebel and sin. Notice three responses from David. Pick it back up in verse 6, there at the end. It says, But David strengthened himself in the Lord, saying, I'm sorry, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So number one, David, he turned back to the Lord. He strengthened himself. He encouraged himself. He looked to the Lord. He, David didn't make excuses for what had happened. David didn't blame others around him. David didn't even blame Saul. David simply, he turned to the Lord. And in God's disciplining in our lives, it's, in a, it's an invitation simply just to turn back to him, isn't it? Just come back to him. See, all the strength that David had was failed. He had nothing left, but he looked up. And this is the grace of God that's available to us, isn't it? See, notice what God didn't say, or what David didn't have to do, you could even say. David didn't have to prove himself faithful for 10 straight days or three straight months. He didn't say, well, if you read your Bible, if you read through the Proverbs in the next 31 days, if you show yourself faithful, no, it's David simply turned back to the Lord. And that's the grace of God. Warren Wiersbe says this, no failure in the school of faith is permanent. He's learning, David's learning that he can trust God. David's learning that even when he's faithless, like we read in the New Testament, God remains faithful to who he is. Uh, Morrison said this, he said, victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. See, even when we fail, even when we falter, even, even when we backslide in life, life is a series of new beginnings for you and I. David turns to the Lord. See, I love this too because what God is doing is, is he's stripping David and, and he strips us in these times of everything that we trusted in. All of our strength that we could muster up, the plans that we could connive, that we could come up with. We talked about this last week actually in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 10. There Paul said, Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. David was at rock bottom. And it was there that as he simply turned back to the Lord, he found strength. He didn't have to show himself strong. But the question for us is how do we strengthen ourselves in the Lord? How do we do this? Well, the Bible tells us in Psalm 42, 5, it says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. So we see that, number one, we can strengthen ourselves in, in the Lord by simply worship. We come and, and, and we worship the Lord, not for necessarily delivering us from our circumstances or changing the circumstances around us, but we worship him for who he is. See, and as we look at the character of God, as, as we remember, we're reminded about who he is, we're strengthened, we're encouraged. Number two, in Psalm 42, also in verse 6, the psalmist goes on and he says, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. So we see here that we remember what God has done in the past. When, when we are cast down, when, 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 when we don't have anything, we look back and we see God's faithfulness upon our lives. Now think about David if he would have done this back in chapter 27. If he would have remembered that, that God had not delivered Saul, David into Saul's hand, that God had been faithful, it may have been a moment or a day-by-day -day deliverance, Right? But, but God, he, he could have remembered. He could have been encouraged. He could have looked back on the, as, as God brought Moses and, and the Israelites out of um, uh, Egypt and, and through the wilderness. 
to the promised land. He could remember that God was faithful. So there's, when, when we come to this place, when we turn back to the Lord, we're to worship, we're to encourage ourselves in the Lord by remembering what He's done in the past, by looking to His Word, number three. Psalm 119.28 says this, My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. So we can come to the word of God, and there as we simply come and, and as we read, as we take um, in the word, God meets us, and he strengthens us. He revives us. But I like this as well. We find strength. We strengthen ourselves in the Lord by others around us, in the body of Christ. Well, how do we know that? 1 Samuel 23, 16, it says, Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose, and he went to David in the woods, and he strengthened his hand in God. See, each of us have bad days. We all become weary at times. But God has placed you in a body. God has placed you with those around us. And we're to be ones who come around others and encourage them in the Lord. Encourage each other. We can, well, how do we do that? Talk about God's faithfulness in your life. Man, maybe someone's reminded you or have told you, you know, you have a long-going relationship, you've been friends for a while, and they're just, they're just cast down. Remind them of God's faithfulness in the past. Just come and sit with somebody. You don't even have to say with somebody or say anything to them. But God's given us a body. God's given uh, each of you, just look around the room, to encourage one another. So not only that, but keep going in, in, verse, in verse 7. It says that, And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, the Lord, that is, David, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So notice this, that next David prayed. So he strengthened himself in the Lord, and then he prayed. He sought God. Earlier, again, David did this. 1 Samuel 23, 2, it says, Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? But during these 16 months of, of David's dark days, we don't have one record of David seeking the Lord. We don't see any time where he, where he inquired of the Lord, where he was turning to the Lord. And, and failure to pray is really um, failure to trust God, isn't it? See, if I don't believe that God, number one, hears, or that God will answer, or, or that his answers contain truth, or God that is able to intervene and to deliver me from circumstances and to help, why would I pray? But here we see that in praying, David's even saying that I trust you, Lord. He's looking to the Lord again. He's ridding himself of self-confidence. He's saying that I don't have the answers. Lord, what do I do now? And again, it's the grace of God that has brought David to this spot. Where he, everything else, it's like the rug has been pulled out from under him. Everything else that he trusted in. God let it all fail that David would turn back to him. See, we can look to the Lord today in the circumstances of our life. We can call out to him. Psalm 50, verse 15 says, Call out to me. This is the Lord's invitation to you and I. Call out to me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. God invites us to simply call out to him. Today, you can call out. I can call out to the Lord. And in his deliverance, as he intervenes, notice he is glorified, isn't it? It's not because of my faithfulness to pray. It's not because I did something, but it's the Lord. And notice now, verse 9, it says, So David went, he and his 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind, who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Besor. So next, we see the, the last thing that David did is he obeyed. <laughs> David obeyed, and it, we see that. It says, so David went. See, I can, um, there's, a, the, there's almost like a form, right, that we could go through where we could be worshiping, we could even pray, 
But then unless we fail to align our lives, the actions of our life with what the Lord shows us, it doesn't do us any good. See, God gave David now an opportunity to participate with him, to go and to pursue. To go and to pursue. God wanted him to use David to accomplish his will. And these opportunities are called obedience to the Lord. Now, David didn't ask for explanations, did he? He just went. See, obedience doesn't ask, well, Lord, tell me the whole thing. David didn't say, how long until I recover? He doesn't even know if he'll recover. Well, I guess the Lord did say that he'll recover all. But he doesn't say what it will look like. He doesn't know the timing of it all. He doesn't know where to find them. The Lord just said, go, and David went. See, the Lord calls us to obey. We're to obey his word. Man, as we turn from sin, as we turn to the Lord, as we pray, now he gives us his word and his commands to obey. Maybe it's to go and to ask for forgiveness. Maybe it's to be honest and, and, and like the Bible says, to confess our sins one to another, that we might be healed and forgiven, right? To be honest and to be live in the light. Maybe it's to forsake that bad habit, that area of our life that we fail to, to yield to God, but to obey. See, because obedience is to trust God, isn't it? When we obey, I am saying, you are saying, Lord, I might not feel like obeying. It might not feel good initially. It may cost me something, but I trust that what you're asking me to do is for my good because of who you are. That's what we do when we obey. And so, notice what happens when David obeyed. David started to go and 200 or one-third of his guys that were with him, his army, said, we're just so weary, we're physically depleted, we can't go any further. So as David stepped out in obedience, things even began to get worse. Sometimes that happens, doesn't it? Man, there's consequences from our sin. Now I'm starting to get my life. I'm I'm turning back to the Lord. I'm stepping out in obedience, Lord. I'm, I'm aligning my life with your word. And now that friendship is broken off that I lose my job because of whatever it is? I don't know, but things can sometimes seemingly get worse. But what the Lord, again, is teaching David is to rid him of all self-reliance, isn't it? To rid him of all self-reliance. Any chance that he could have of even saying that it was his own doing, that it was his own wisdom, because the Lord wants to know that, David to know that it was him and him alone. But the question for us today is have we obeyed? Man, am I obeying the word? Is there any areas of my life that I'm not trusting the word with? Is there any areas where I'm saying no? Because to to say no is to disobey. It reminds me of the disciples, right? When Jesus said that they're to get into the ship and go to the other side, and they were obedient, right? They got in the ship. They started to go, and what happened? The storms came. So we can learn from that. Don't be surprised that in stepping out in obedience that life gets harder or life gets worse. But notice that as David steps out, as David obeys God's grace, we see this in verse 11. So as David was going, we pick it up in verse 11, then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and they gave him bread and he ate and they let him drink water and they gave him a piece of of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. So David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion in the southern area of the Cherethites, and the territory which belongs to Judah, and of the southern area of, the, of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Can you take me down to this troop? So he said, Swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, so I will take, and, and I will take you down to his troop. So we see here that in God's grace, as David stepped out in obedience, although it got harder, God still intervened. And, and he just happened to come across this Egyptian. 
And, and notice the state of the Egyptian. It wasn't like David um, found somebody who was spying and, and he took like the best troop of, of the, um, the Amalekites' troops and like caught the spy or anything like that. But God, as one pastor said, uses the weak things of the world to even confound the wise. The Egyptian was laying there as David went sick. He couldn't move. He was left behind. He was deserted. And yet, the grace of God used the weakness of the world for his, to accomplish his will. And that's encouraging. I love that God intervenes, that God directs our paths, that God meets us as we step in obedience to him. And so notice, as David now goes, um, this Egyptian can take him down to right where they are in verse 16. And when he had brought him down, there they were spread out over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight until evening of the next day. Not a man of, um, not a man of them escaped except for 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. And nothing of theirs was lacking, neither small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. So notice that as David participated with the Lord, the Lord gave him victory. And David knew this too. If you glance down at verse 23, it says, But David said, My brother, and you shall not uh, do so with that which the Lord has given us. See, David's even saying there that this was the Lord. It's the Lord who has delivered um, <laughs> the victory into our hands. God, now in delivering and answering David's prayer, David participating with him in obedience, he recovered all that the enemy had taken. All that was lost was recovered. David recovered his wives, the families of his men. And notice that it's the grace of God that opens the door for restoration. The grace of God. David didn't, again, have to prove himself faithful. None of that. See, in some of us, maybe you have turned. Maybe you have backslidden. God's disciplining you in his love. Yet today, he's inviting you to turn back to him. And we just went through this in, on Wednesday nights in Joel chapter 2, verse 25. Now the word says there that if the people were to repent, if they were to turn back to him, Joel says, uh, the word through Joel says, So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. See, God in his grace, and in, in, he's able to even restore the blessings that were taken away, the years of lost blessings. He, he can't restore the time, right? It doesn't say that I'll restore the time, but I'll give you the blessings that were stolen by that season of rebellion as you repent and as you turn back to me. And the same invitation is open for us today, that you and I can experience the blessing that was lost in serving sin. But how is this possible? How is this possible? You see, our greater than David, Jesus Christ, he experienced a dark day, didn't he? David, he was in some dark days, but so was Christ. And it's interesting, if you look at the parallel between Christ and David, see, like David, Jesus sought the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said there that if it is possible to let this cup pass from him, that the Lord would do it. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And like David, Jesus obeyed the Lord, and he went to the cross, surrendering his life that, that we might be forgiven, that we might be saved. He walked in obedience. Like David, I love this, Jesus makes recovery of his bride possible. You see, because the Bible tells us that you and I are the bride of Christ. You see, and and Christ has purchased you. He has bought back you and I, which the enemy has stolen. We were slaves to sin. See, but unlike David, Jesus' dark days weren't because of his own rebellion and because of his own sin. In Matthew 27, verse 45 and 46, we read there, Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. 
And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, the darkness, the dark days that Jesus experienced was because he was taking my sin. He was taking my rebellion, your rebellion, upon himself. And it's at that time that he, God forsook him. God gave him over to experience the wrath of God for us. And he experienced darkness that we might experience light. He experienced darkness that we might be recovered from the bondage of sin. That he, man, I love this. I love that the gospel brings hope. And so if you have never given your life to Christ today, there's hope for you, isn't there? There's hope. The Bible tells us that we're to admit that we're sinners, that we're to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he rose again, that he died for, for our sins, that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that he is the Lord, that we will be forgiven. And God allows us to come to places of hopelessness that we could turn to him, the God of all hope. Maybe even this morning, you, you've been backslidden for a, a time, a day. Maybe it's been a night. I don't know. Maybe it's been years in your life. Well, there's hope for us today. The Lord invites us to confess our sins, right? To repent and to walk in obedience to Him. And so we learn from David's despondency the hope that the gospel brings in the greater than David, Jesus Christ. And so as um, the worship team comes up and we end with a song, I just, just be honest with with ourselves this morning. We don't have to live 16 months like David did in rebellion as a servant of the enemy, as a servant of the Philistine king. We don't have to live a lie anymore. We don't have to cover it up. God invites us to just simply come back to him. The grace of God is available for us today. And uh, just over this next song, I, I encourage you to do business with the Lord. He already knows. We're not just deceiving or fooling him. And so, Father, we thank you this morning um, that there's hope found in you. And what I pray for anybody maybe who feels hopeless, Lord, um, today, that they would let you be their hope, God, that they would turn to you, that they would turn to Christ, Lord. And if anyone isn't saved, God, we, we just know that um, death is real. God, and sin and, and hell, is, Lord, it's real. And so, Lord, would they um, just even over this next song or so, in the privacy of their own heart, confess and ask you to be their Savior. And so we thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name.